Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another incredible, remarkable unbelievable, interesting, and truth-telling episode of FNO InsureTech. He's Lee Boyd. Hi, everybody. Decided to come back and be on a be on an episode again. Welcome back, Lee. Well, you you also came back. You just came back a little bit sooner, but this is one of the first episodes that we've been on together no, in no, a no, while. No, I've been back, sir. Well, I mean, relative, right? You did you did a nice job in my absence. So did you? Uh, I listened to the last one. I listened to um, who was it? Andy. I think Andy I listened Lerner. to that one. It was a yeah. great conversation. What a great guy. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, that was a really, and he had the nicest things to say about the podcast. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. He did. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. Sometimes Lee and I scratch our heads. Why do we do this? Yeah, what's it What's it all for? What's it all for? What, what? I mean, is this just something that for us? Yeah. And then Andy comes along and tells us, no, it's, it's more than that. It's value add. Yeah. Just think um, about it, Rob. Five years, we're, we're coming to the end of another year of podcast. We have been documenting the world of InsureTech for five years. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a yeah, lot it's of- It's interesting, uh, and it, it's funny that you say that because I recently listened to part of an episode that was super old with a guest that we were thrilled to have on, mm-hmm. thrilled, from a company that- um, is hardly in business anymore. Oh, really? Yes, and and that guest is no longer uh, there, or even in the insurtech business. And so, how weird is that? I'd, it you know, goes yeah. to show you how much things have changed. We've yeah. seen we've seen ups and downs, hills and valleys, and we're certainly in a different time today than we were then. Well, think about it. We we read the news last night about BetterView. Yeah, and your map. And we've had representatives from both those companies on the podcast. And we thought, you know, we, we documented them in, individually. And now they're now they're coming together. Nearmap uh, just acquired BetterView. Is, if I read that correct, I believe that's the case. Pretty exciting stuff. You know what we say, congratulations to David and David. Yes, congratulations. The co-founders at BetterView. Uh, they'll be on the podcast real soon. And we're thrilled to have them. And but I want to get back to Andy Lerner. Please. One of the most successful, bright people in the venture market, in the insure tech space. Mm-hmm. And you know one of the companies that is uh, in their portfolio? Uh, why don't you tell me? Clear Cover. Oh, why do you bring that up? That's it's, a, it's it's a random funny. thing to bring it's, up. It's funny that I bring that up, isn't it? Isn't it, though? It turns out that today... We have the CEO of ClearCover with us. We Once do. Again. Once again, 
Kyle Nakasuji is here for a second go round. And it's a great episode. It is not a normal episode like yeah. we normally do. We yeah. normally open the episode. We say, hey, welcome to the show. Tell us all about your company. Well, we did that in episode one. So if you want a real deep look at ClearCover and what it is, you've got to listen. I think it's episode 210. Kyle talks all about ClearCover, what they're doing on the sales and the claims and all that. Today's conversation is is a deeper look at Kyle himself, kind of what motivates him, some past stories, a look behind the curtain. We're going to look at the changes that he's had to go through in the past 18 months uh, with, with a little bit of changes uh, going on. And it, it's a really in-depth conversation. I thought it was a delight. He's an open book, uh, allows us to ask whatever we want to, and it's a great listen. Kyle is super insightful and a, and a deep thinker. And it's cool when we have somebody like that on who can share very advanced insights into the marketplace um, and into the world of InsureTech. And yeah. today he shares with us things that ClearCover is dealing with, has dealt with, and will deal with mm-hmm. coming in the future. And also why, a lot of right. the why. And right. so it's our privilege to have him with us. So what do you say we get to that interview? I say we jump in. It's a, it's a great interview. Hang on, everybody. Buckle your seatbelts. Get the popcorn. Get ready. Are you are you are you ready? I, I think you have a little more to say. I'm ready. Get the popcorn? Get the popcorn. Well, you know, everybody sits there, they're all at home, evening, nothing to do. They get their popcorn, they pop on the podcast. Okay. Isn't that in that when people listen? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, here is our interview number two with Kyle Nakasuji, CEO at ClearCover. Hey, everybody, we're here with a two-timer, second-timer. Second-timer. Two-timer sounds rough. It does, doesn't I heard that on the last podcast. I thought, we should probably stop saying that. Uh, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I never do this. We never do this. Go ahead. Rob Lee, it's it's an honor to be back here as a two-timer or a second-timer. I suppose it depends on how it goes, but... I'm Kyle Nakasuji, co-founder and CEO of a company called ClearCover and proud second-time guest of the podcast. Well, thank you. That you know, you only, have, you only have three more visits that you have to do to our podcast until you can get the five-timer FNO InsureTech smoking jacket. That's right. Which still on back to, order. But still on back order. So We're hoping. We're hoping it'll come in soon. There are a few. You know one of, you know one of our five-timers, Caitlin Johnson. I do. And I, I, as much as I would like the smoking jacket, before we jumped on, I asked you about your audience. And, and what I remember from that conversation is you said, Rob and Lee, neither of your wives have ever listened to the podcast. So that's my new goal. I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't, the smoking jacket can wait. I want to, I want to make it interesting enough that your wives want to listen. Hey, I like that. Well, they would then love we that. have to, we have to get off InsureTech and insurance immediately. That's no yeah. problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'd have to do that, and we'd have to get uh, Travis and Jason Kelsey on because that's the only podcast my wife will listen to you now. You can go there. There's that the Bachelor with like the older gentleman now. Like, <laughs> tell me where we got to go, and we will. Wherever we got to go, we'll go. And in my case, we could either talk about anything to do with cats, 
or or true crime. Now, how okay. those two are connected, I don't know. I we'll don't weave it together that. somehow. It's got to be there. It's got to be there. We have all kinds of things to talk about today, but one of the first things I want to talk about is football. Let's go there first. Okay. okay. Now, the intrepid FNO and SureTech research team has uncovered the fact that you were a football player for many years. Which High school through college. Means, which probably means you have a love of football. And of course, the fact that you live in Wisconsin, by default, you love football, right? All true. And of course, the sun rises and sets on a field called Lambeau. That it does. Am I right so far? You're, uh, it's all correct. Okay. So before I ask you about the Packers, let's unpack. Huh? Nice. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Let's unpack your your personal history. So you were a high school football player and a college football player. Is that correct? I was. Yeah. Where did you play um, football? This is. Uh, I did not. I didn't know you're going to go here. Th- this is. This is probably more fun story than insurance. So we can. I'll tell <laughs> well, you. A little bit about we're it. trying to get my yeah. our wives to listen to this. Yeah, we so. got. We, we got to try something. I see it coming together now. Um, yeah. yeah. So I I grew up uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I played at a, a school not far from where I am now called West Dallas Nathan Hale. I was uh, I was a running back, and my sophomore year they put me up on varsity. Somebody got hurt or something, and they put me in at the end of a game because sophomores didn't play varsity that much. And the first time they gave me the ball, I went 80 yards for a touchdown. So it was complete luck, but it was oh. like everyone was like, oh, okay, this is a thing. Yeah. And so I played the rest of that year, and you know, I, I like showed enough promise that people were kind of excited about about where my career might go. And then that uh, between that season and my junior year, I blew out my ACL playing basketball. Mm. Ouch! And not even on the football field. No, playing basketball. Uh, but I rehabbed it. It came back, and my junior year was okay. I mean, it, it takes a while to come back from one of those, and so I was I was okay, but not great my junior year. But started to sort of feel a lot better and stronger between my junior and senior year coming into my senior year was you know getting recruited enough and, and like feeling good about the trajectory of my football career. And then we played up at uh, not Lambeau, but camp Randall where the Badgers play our first game of our, of our, my senior season. Wow. And the first play of that first game, they handed me the ball, big stage, yeah. big, beautiful stadium, but everybody was there. Very exciting. First play of the first game, they hand me the ball. I go 40 yards down the field. Somebody dives at me from behind, and I blow my knee out again. Same knee, second time, first play of my senior year. So so first of all, in that game, we didn't actually know what happened, and I could still get around a little bit. So I finished the game. So I, And by the end of the game, I could kind of tell, like, okay, something's not right here. It's just not holding together properly. <laughs> yeah, it bit the wrong way. It was not good. And um, uh, they took me to the doctor the next day, and the doctor said, it's too swollen to – to do a test to see if you've torn your ACL. So we're going to draw the fluid out. And if the fluid is clear, it's a sprain. And if the fluid is like pink, something tore because it's bleeding. So you take this needle that is nine inches long, looks like it goes, you know, belongs in a horse barn. Mm. And they stick it in your knee and he starts to draw it out. And it's like Santa's suit red. Oh, oh gosh. Gross. Terrible. So you're, you're senior devastated. That's like season's over, right? Except I, I wasn't, Let's look back to entrepreneurship, I promise. I wasn't willing to give up on my teammates or the season, so I had them fit me for a brace, and I played the rest of that year on that torn ACL. 
So I played about every other game because it took about a game in between to, to get everything back in order. But I played every other game that year. And then I had as a running back as a running back. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's just, just have to pause right here to just tell the audience. Okay. Now we've established that you're insane. <laughs> so, so, so cross that one off the list. So please continue. So you're playing yeah. every other game. It's certainly you've established I'm stupid. And is there the line between stupidity and insanity might be passion. You're your passionate. Uh, but I played the rest of the season on it. I, I then had surgery after the season, but one thing that happened as soon as I blew it out the second time is um, all the phone calls from recruiters stopped coming <laughs> because sure. I was a liability. So, yeah. um, so I had surgery and then I went uh, to a smaller school in Wisconsin called the university of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Okay. Uh, a bunch of my teammates were going there, great school. And I spent the, my first year there rehabbing because I was still coming off of surgery, wasn't quite healthy. But I had this sort of itch in the back of my head about whether I, I could have played Division One football. So, and I, I just I just couldn't quite shake it. So in the off season after my, my freshman year at Oshkosh, somehow I got the contact information for the recruiting coordinator at UW-Madison. Jeremy Sins was the gentleman's name. I don't know how I got his info, and he, I'm, he regrets it, I'm sure. But I got a hold of his info. And so I started uh, calling Jeremy daily and emailing him game film and sort of like pestering him continuously. And finally said, look, if you transfer to Madison, uh, you can work out with the team in the spring, and then we'll see if you make it. I said, good enough for me. So I applied, got in, transferred. I show up to campus the first day of school, and uh, Jeremy calls me and said, we just had a running back go down with a heart condition, show up to practice today. Wow. So I showed up, and I was a you know like a unrostered practice squad guy that fall with the team, and Got my experience playing with a Division One football team, and it was it was amazing. But it turns out that um, it was a bigger business than nineteen year old me was prepared to deal with, and I missed a lot of the uh, the relationships I had made at Oshkosh. So I spent a year at Madison on the practice squad, had a ton of fun and learned a lot, but went back and, and finished up my career then at Oshkosh, having having scratched that itch. And wow! I, so yeah, it was the. Uh, it was an up and down journey to be sure. I learned a lot. Well, just that that's 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 a terrific story. It reminds me of another story of you. You so you, you have an MO. <laughs> yeah, you're annoying, I think. <laughs> your, your your MO is don't say no to this guy because uh can you just tell the story very quickly about you trying or you you get into law school. Yeah. At a division 1 school. I did. Which is Madison, right? Yep. And then you decide, oh, no, I'm not. Is, is that kind of how it went? So, That's pretty and, much and how it went. So, well, I, I, Tell us where you went next. It's the same story. It's just different characters. It is the same story. So I ended up in law school at Madison, and but I didn't know anything about being an attorney or law school for that matter. It was just an easy way not to get a job. But I, I didn't love it. So I decided I would go get an MBA which was across the street because that would give me more optionality. And so I, I literally walked across the street and I um, found the admissions director. Erin Nicholsberg was this, was this woman's name. And uh, I did the same thing. I just started showing up in her office twice a week with a plan for how she would let me in. And because Erin, you know, the first set of questions she asked me was, all right, well, sounds great. Do you have any work experience? I said, well, no, I, I would, I like, 
painted lines on baseball fields a couple summers. So no, that, doesn't, that doesn't quite count. Yeah. <laughs> she said, all right, well, have you, uh, have you, did you major in business? No. Have you taken any business courses? Well, no, that's why I'm here. I want to take them. Yeah. Duh. Did you take the GMAT? And I said, I don't know what that is. So she, she was like, obviously you're not getting in. So we, I came back week after week, new plan, new plan, new plan. And finally she, um, she found a home for me there. And one of the specializations, she convinced them to, to say yes. And so I, that next semester I started at the business school. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a very similar story. I found some poor soul that I could pester and badger right. into, into. You worked, you worked it, you worked it and it worked out for you. It worked out. There's two statues on the campus at Madison. One is uh, uh, of two legendary characters. One is Rudy and the other is you. So. <laughs> hardest working guy ever to get into it i certainly haven't earned that just yet and to be honest you know aaron got me into the business school and then i did the exact same thing i started going to class and said well i don't really like this either so then i i started i let, i started working with entrepreneurs in the community i rarely went to class so if anything i've learned that i'm persistent but i'm also frequently the dog that catches the car yeah, and, and at that moment, you're like, "Oh shit, what do I do with this now?" And, uh, and I got it. Oh, but I don't really want this. Yeah, That's not what I wanted. The good news is, is you succeeded in your immediate goal. I, I attained that that objective. Mm -hmm. uh, success might be slightly different definition, but certainly you got out. You I got out. Set out to achieve. Yeah. Well, you know, in all the uh, episodes that we've done on this podcast, we don't really spend enough time talking about the character of people, because um, I think that in InsureTech or any entrepreneurial endeavor, so much of it has to do with your w willingness to get punched in the gut and not stay doubled over, but rather stand back up and go at it again, right? W would you agree with that as an entrepreneur? Yeah, particularly in the last 18 months or so, it's been... Yeah. Uh, a different a different scene in the arena. Let's let let's talk about the last eighteen months. I'm sure not your favorite topic necessarily, but nonetheless, it's reality. Set the set set the stage for us. What's what's changed? Well, you know, I think there's been two uh, macro trends that have made it harder to be an entrepreneur, and and in particular, a uh, insurance entrepreneur in the last eighteen or so months. So the first macro trend is that money was free for a while and it suddenly became not free. And when money went from free to not free, the capital markets environment changed dramatically. And what people wanted to see from companies changed dramatically and the availability of capital to startups changed dramatically. And so everybody had to reorient themselves to that new capital markets environment. The second thing was uh, insurance dealt with the downstream impacts of some of the same causes in the form of inflation. So as inflation took off, it became uniquely difficult to run these businesses. I think the rate at which we saw severity increase in personal auto insurance in particular, we do personal auto, was pretty unprecedented. And so it was difficult for, you look at the numbers, right? Like. State farms, all states, Skyco's progressives of the world struggled, let alone folks who were newer and still on a different part of the learning curve. So it, it really, between those two things, it's been uh, 
it's been an interesting environment to operate in the last 18 months, to say the least. So what are the kind of adjustments? How does that filter down to clear cover? You know, I think the first thing it does is it tests your resolve. It, it forces you to assess why you're doing it is what you're doing and whether or not you're willing to get knocked down in the arena and get dirty and take the risks that are required. I mean, this is, this is not, I'll, I won't get on the soapbox for long, but it, it was, uh, there are periods of time when it's pretty easy to, to be an entrepreneur or even act like one. You go try new stuff with, you know, somebody else's money behind you, or you're in a corporation that has like an innovation group that allows you to do crazy stuff. And it's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but that is much different than, you know, being in an environment like this and knowing that there are very real and serious consequences to the risks you take as a business owner, as someone who runs a business. Right. And, you know, it's no secret. We put some press out uh, in October. We had to do a reduction in force. We, we had to shrink the size of our organization because simply put, we just weren't going to grow as fast as we thought we were going to grow because the capital markets environment was tricky and because the inflation environment was tricky. And, um, those are hard things. They test your resolve and they, and they're, they're not something anybody wants to be a part of, but it turns out if you look back at history, they're almost always something that every company that makes it through cycles and becomes, makes a lasting impact on an industry has to figure out at some point. So yeah, we've had to make some adjustments in terms of our mindset. And then we've also had to make some, some hard operational decisions, but we're better for it. We, we've, we have learned, we've adapted. I have regret for the folks who were impacted by the risks we took and the decisions that we had to make after those risks yeah. were taken. But we as a company will be better for have, have going, gone through the fight. That it's, it's something that will make us stronger, I guarantee it. And so we're just going to keep pushing and, uh, and you know, hopefully it all turns out. Do uh, you find that the investors are asking a lot more questions during these times than they were when, when there was more ample money out there? I, it is a lot more of your day having to answer questions and project and think. Has that changed at all? I don't think they ask more or less questions. They ask different questions. It, it, we're in a. It's an interesting place we're all in right now because what happened is this is this is shorthand. There's obviously more to it than this, but in the era of free money, all anybody really cared about was how fast you could grow. How fast can you grow? How big can you get? How right? Because right? money was right. there, so just spend the money to grow. Achieve scale as fast as you can, or at least look like you're doing it. Because if you look like you're doing it, then you can raise more money, so you can actually keep doing it. But the, but the question was all around how and how quickly you can go. And of course, I mean, nobody says like grow in it in like the rest of your business can be complete trash. That's not right. exactly right. right. But but, they, but they're they're much less focused on what's going on underneath the growth. That's just how it worked. And for a lot of folks that, that, that worked out because they raised lots of money and somebody else marked them up. And so fine. And then the market got tough and everybody turned on a dime and it went from asking how fast you can grow to saying, how fast can you be profitable? And th that's fair. That's a, that's like a, a, a should have been a pretty predictable response. Yeah. Yeah. What was going on in the, in the market. And different companies have different abilities to slow down and speed up and be profitable or not. If you were unprofitable because 
you were investing in growth, but you the underlying business was profitable, pretty easy to turn that around. If you were unprofitable because you were trying to reach scale that allowed you to be profitable, then it's pretty hard to grow your way into profitability by not growing. So it right. was everybody had a different challenge in front of them. But it was clear the market's message was like profitability, profitability, profitability. That's all that matters. And it turns out that just like with anything, both of those answers are are probably wrong. They're right. both they're both too myopic. All right. Like it's, it, there's, there's just, you have to, um, this is a great quote in some fiction book I read, but you have to like sort of distill condense facts from the vapor of nuance, which is to say that like, there's just, there, there's, you have to make real life decisions, but there's, but there's, it's always, there's gray areas to draw from. So in this case, now where we're at is, um, the folks who, who are going to be really successful, three, four, five years from now when the market turns around and we inevitably go back to a time where like things are a little bit more easygoing and growth is more uh, more interesting are going to be the folks who took risks today. And the folks who said, look, like I, it, it is, it's a natural reaction to want to slam on the brakes when things are scary. Yeah. But that's actually the time when you need to invest in doing things that are smart, but still allow you to grow. That is the point at which you can make courageous and bold decisions about growing your business that other people will not make. If you thought you were being courageous and bold by spending money on growth when everybody was doing it, you are dead wrong. Everybody was doing that shit. If you are making courageous and bold decisions about the future growth of your business and investing in the future of your business today, when everybody wants to sit on their hands and be quiet and try and get to profitability, those are the folks who, who I think will see dividends paid off for them down the line. Do you consider clear cover in that camp? I sure hope so. I think there's been time. I mean, we're, we're subject to it just like everybody else, right? Our initial reaction to the gut punch of the market was the same as everybody else's. It was just like, slow down, slow down, slow down. We right, got to find a way. Right. And, and, whoa, whoa. and we, we, we needed a, a better balance. I think, I think what that did, if anything, is it sort of drew us back towards like a different part of that risk spectrum of go as fast as you can, go as slow as you can. So we pulled back on the reins, as you suggest, and, but I think what a lesson for me from this year is that you can take that too far as well. And I yeah. think what we've been focused on now is um, finding ways to still be bold and still be courageous and still take the risk that is required to build something great in an environment where it's a little harder thing to do than it used to be. You know, that's awesome. I, I was just talking to somebody whose name I can't say, but who I have tremendous respect for as a business person who is just kind of making the same point today that in the toughest times, he was talking about growth, at the toughest times is when you need to expand. I mean, as human beings, we're all, that's why there's a brake pedal, right? Oh no, this is frightening, foot on the brake. And it's, it's fairly bold to not get caught up in that. Very bold, I agree. The, the thing you have to accept is we do, and it, you're, this other person will as well, is when you make that choice, you might be wrong. There is, yeah. a, there is a chance that, that you're wrong, and you should have been conservative when you weren't. And, and those, are, those are the choices that are required, I think, to build something great through cycles. And, but but you, just, you just have to accept that it might not work out, and not everybody's willing to do that. Yeah. So what, what, what are some of the cool things that are coming out of this time strategically for you? So in a, in a world where growth was easier, we had to, th there was less reason to be creative about how you grew. 
It was yeah. just there. You could just find ways to go and invest in growth and marketing and get policyholders in a, in a world where you have to, you know, be more creative, then you get to do some cool stuff. So for example, we, um, we have been leaning into uh, this idea of embedded insurance as everybody likes to talk about, but certainly the reasons people like that is that it's a great customer experience. And if you do it right, it should be an efficient source of finding customers because you're right. Um, we could talk as much as you want about it, but, uh, but the, the model itself is intended to find ways to lower your acquisition costs and at the same time find customers. And so we launched a, a partnership with Experian using our bind API. We launched our a platform we call Choice, which is mm-hmm. our like brokerage solution, which includes ClearCover as a bindable product. Uh, GoodCover was a company that was our first partner on that. We got a couple more in the pipeline. So it's it, we can we could talk more about it, but certainly it's given us reason to to double down on being creative on ways to find customers that's efficient. And same with the operation of the business. And it gives you reason to, to not that you wouldn't do this anyways, but more reason to look at every penny. There's this great story about um, Jeff Bezos. And uh, it's one of my favorite Jeff stories. Jeff, like, you know, well-known, cost-conscious entrepreneur. And he was touring one of their offices. And uh, he noticed that the vending machines had light bulbs in them. And Jeff said, take all of those out. There's plenty of light outside. You don't need a light bulb in a vending machine to see what's in it. And, uh, and you know, an environment like this gives you every reason to find all of those light bulbs in your business. And we're not alone in doing that, but certainly yeah. we've done a lot of that in the last six months. Wow. You think about that. Think about all, all the light bulbs in a company, right? You know, figuratively speaking, mm-hmm. all the light bulbs that you say, they were good ideas. We put them in at this one moment in time. And you look back and say, are they really necessary? Are they helping us hit our new goals? Because your goals today are not the goals that they were yesterday in the different environments that we're at. That's a, that's a very unique story. I like that. I've never heard that one. So on the embedded thing, it seems to me that embedded is, is it really just a kind of a new age distribution play? I have strong, long-winded opinions about this, so I'll let me. I'll get Why into does it. That not surprise me. But if the goal was to get your wives to listen to this, this is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, they, they've already tuned out, but way. they will be on for the first few minutes. All right, we'll do that. We'll list the football part. Football stories. Yeah, look, we. Uh, our belief is that uh, embedded is not a channel; it's a strategy. And let me let me explain what that means because it's there, there's nuance to that as well. So so back in 2016. When I was at American Family, actually, we wrote a blog about what we called incidental insurance at the time, which was a crappy brand name, apparently, because it didn't take off and embedded did. But same concept of like plugging insurance into, we call them these moments that matter. But Embedded, way sexier name. Yeah. Incidental. Yeah. So good try. We were talking about the new bachelor and I called it the bachelor with the older gentleman. It's called the golden bachelor, right? So clearly my marketing sense is the marketing. Your idea is there. The idea is there. Stick with, stick with auto insurance. I don't think like ABC is going to put the bachelor with the older gentleman and big old print. The old dude bachelor. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. So we wrote this, this blog on, on incidental insurance. It was a big part of our investment thesis there and uh, referenced the behavioral model uh, from a gentleman out of Stanford named BJ Fogg. And BJ, BJ's behavioral model was simplified. He said any sort of behavior is a function of a person's motivation, their level of motivation to do the thing, 
their ability to do the thing, and then a trigger, a reminder that the thing ought to be done. And so BJ plotted it on like a two by two. So if the Y axis was motivation and the X axis was ability, the further up and to the right you are, more motivation and more ability, the more likely it is a trigger succeeds, right? And this, this you, there are real world examples of this. So for example, taxes, your ability is very, very low. Taxes yeah. sucks, but come April, your motivation will spike if you haven't done it yet. And so a trigger, once your motivation gets high enough, it's likely to, you know, to remind you that you ought to do your taxes. Amazon shopping is the opposite of that. Amazon shopping is so easy. Your ability to do so is so great far on the X axis to the right. You don't need all that much motivation. You don't have to be very high on that Y axis of motivation for a trigger to work, which is why Amazon sells so much stuff because they don't need to remind you all that often and you don't have to be all that motivated to do it. So we said insurance is like the bottom left-hand corner of that chart. You're not all that motivated to do it. And your ability is not all that good either, right? It's complicated. It's opaque. It's, it's, you know, so the idea behind incidental at the time and embedded today is to take where insurance sits on that X, Y axis and move it up and to the right. How do we increase somebody's motivation and their ability such that we have to remind them less often or the triggers are more effective because less often motivation, less often triggering or more effective triggering just translates into lower marketing costs. And so this was the basic framework was this, this like behavioral study from Stanford out of BJ Fogg, but it was wrong. I was wrong about it back in 2016. Okay. Because we made the same assumption that I think a lot of people are making today, which is that you can move someone, you can improve ability and motivation just by making the product easier to buy. So if I just build technology and I integrate it in a certain place, I'm going to move people up and to the right on that on that chart. And so I will have succeeded. And it that didn't work. That's why Embedded didn't really take off between 2016 and 2023, because simply doing the integrations with the technology wasn't enough. Right. Just because it's on your website doesn't solve the problem. The integration in and of itself was not enough to move the box and motivation and ability. We thought it might be. It wasn't. What was needed to move the box is increasing the customer's confidence. And we talked about this last time I was on the show. We, we at ClearCover, we have this thing called the customer confidence loop. We believe that you know every customer shops based on confidence, and that confidence is a function of four things, transparency, convenience, affordability, and value. Those are the four things they use to judge how confident they are in the purchase decision that they make. And so the reason we think Embedded is a strategy is that if you... What you should be doing is thinking about how you deliver those four things in some other channel or in some unique way or integrated into someone else's product app or experience, because that's what's going to move the box up and to the right. And it's not always the same thing. So, so for example, we built a product called Choice, which, which embeds a digital agency experience with ClearCover as a part of it into someone else's product or experience, whether it's shopping for renter insurance or buying a car or something else like that. And the yeah. reason we did that is because integrating a single insurance product wasn't, it didn't move confidence enough because it didn't give people more transparency and it didn't actually give them more convenience because it was less products than they would get from an agent. What you needed to give them was an agency experience because an agency experience gives them transparency and it gives them convenience and it allows them to opt into affordability based on the choices that they have. And so for us, embedded, again, has to be it's not just plugging a product into something else. 
that's that's a that's like a channel strategy fine but that's just a smaller part of this idea of figuring out how you improve someone's confidence move that box up into the right in terms of motivation and ability uh, in the context of them as a buyer and where you're finding them and all these other things you might use to make that decision is that because of how complicated the product is yeah it is again it i mean, I mean if it it was if it was a different widget I, I don't know if it was a commodity right an apple i don't know it would it might be different than if it is something that's hard to understand to begin with i think that's there. so like maybe to make the example tangible you can you can see the clear differences between how you would increase confidence or how you might execute an embedded strategy for travel insurance versus auto insurance travel insurance pretty commoditized not all that complex so like plugging that into wherever you're buying your ticket that this like direct embedded integration probably a pretty solid bet right like yeah. i think you're, you're going to do okay that way auto insurance there's much more op there, there's many more options it's it's much more opaque there's brand loyalties there's all these other things to figure out people are used to being helped shop for it so uh, it doesn't work that way. You have to offer something different than just plugging the product into some other experience. And so that's that's going to require an embedded agency approach or a hybrid approach between direct and agency. And, and this is where like the, what you're selling, where you're selling it and who you're selling it to is how you build your embedded strategy, not just via APIs. So you built a digital agency. We built a digital agency. You put yourself in it. That's right. right. As one of the, but you're not the only option. Mm-mm. Because that's not how you create a good embedded insurance experience for auto insurance right now. A single carrier plugged into someone else's experience that has some affinity to car insurance is not, you can do better than that for customers. Because it missed the transparency test. And it's not, yeah, it's, it's not transparent. It's not, I can't guarantee affordability because you might be able to find a better rate than mine or whatever yeah. you're looking at. And it's not very convenient because if you do want to shop, you only seen one option. You got to go somewhere else. It's not shopping, it. really. It's not, it's not well, shopping. It's- it's so much different, you know, travel insurance. Nobody can tell you a name brand travel insurance company. I mean, I can't, but no, most people cannot do that. So you say, oh, travel insurance is travel insurance. Right. But we are programmed to understand that car insurance, there's a bunch of brands. Right. There's a bunch of different. And all of a sudden you're instantly, you know, wondering who it should be. I think that's a harder. And it, and is there a, whenever you're embedding insurance, is there a dollar value that makes it harder or is it a recurring payment? Like if, if, if I, if I buy something online and there's embedded insurance, I'm like, well, travel insurance, I'm making a payment today. I'm done. But car insurance, you're going to have to make it for the future. Is that, does that make it harder? Yeah, we, we, I think so. When we did this, we wrote a blog on this recently and we, we used a two by two and the, um, the axes on the two by two, whether or not the customer prefers curated value or not. And curated value is like this term of art that just refers to, do you want somebody to like help you choose the best options for you? And the other axis was um, like the complexity of the product itself, right? And so if the customer prefers curated value, help, shopping, and the product is complex, then you almost always need some sort of agency-like experience to deli- well, you, you can embed it, but it's still got to be an agency-like experience. If the product, if the customer doesn't prefer curated value, they like self-serving, and the product is simple enough that they're going to be okay at self-serving. There's not a lot of risk to it. Then you can probably get away with this like direct API integration. You figure it out right in that moment, 
And then there's areas, there's, there's shades of gray in between. But to your point, Lee, I would say like payments, frequency of payments or type of payments, that just plays into this idea of complexity, which is how you would think about where you might place it on this two by two. I'm always wondering if a day comes when buying auto insurance is different. I bought, I bought a vehicle in August and when I bought the vehicle, you know, they're selling you warranty, they're selling you all these things. And they say, who's your insurance company? And I'm thinking that what a, what a, what a time to be at this agency where they're like, you want this warranty? Here's your three options of insurance. We've already, you know, quoted them for you who, you know, pick it and, and go. I, I just wonder, will there be a day? It's different than homeowners. I don't, maybe they could do that at a mortgage closing. I don't know, but we've changed the way claims is done for auto right? We're, we're changing that fundamental claims handling and automating it. I would imagine the, the buy process could be changed too. What do, what do you think? Yeah, without question. Elon Musk was, was on TV a week ago with a yeah. very, uh, you know, like an interview with lots of moving pieces to it. But one of the things he said was uh, he, he thinks that basically AGI is less than three years away. Thinks there'll be a computer that's smarter than the smartest human at most things within like three years, and like he, maybe that's aggressive, but he's a pretty smart guy. He's figured out a bunch of stuff before, and so mm-hmm. like he's tapped in. If if you presume computers will be smarter than humans at most things in three to five years, you'd be crazy not to think that the way you're going to buy auto insurance isn't going to also change. It's got to change. Yeah, you know, I didn't even really think about. It. We were talking about Chat GPT before this. And I thought something I've never thought about is how how AI is going to help me pick the right insurance out of all the insurances out there. How it's going to help me pick the right one for me, and and it might be I'm the sure AI, it might be the AI helping the agent. People still right. talking to humans, but like certainly without question, it will it will change. I I think the ways it changes though will still be driven by the same behavioral needs of buyers and what buyers need in our opinion is they need to feel whatever level of satisfaction they are seeking with respect to transparency convenience affordability and the value they're getting yeah so a lot of what i'm hearing you say is it gets back to the customer you're not talking about the product you're not talking about deductibles right etc policy characteristics you're talking about the individual yeah, it's, I mean that's the product's important, but it but it the success of the product is defined in the eyes of the customer. So you, you, we start with them, and and you know it's ClearCover has been uh, it's been an interesting business to pitch because there's not like a, a magic bullet. I think last time I was on, I had the same book sitting next to me, The Farmer from Myrna, which is like oh, a self commissioned book by State Farm. Yeah. Yes. There's this great line in it where they talk about how State Farm. When you looked at it back when it got started, there wasn't like there wasn't like a ton of uniqueness in the strategy. They said you couldn't pick out like one thing the business did that was wildly different or had never been attempted before. It was the way that they sort of did all of those things and put them together. And part of how I think about ClearCover is if you think about the way an insurance organization works as like a schematic, and you took that schematic and you just you just expanded it, you just blew it up, and you looked at every individual component of that schematic. And then you reevaluated how that thing worked with respect to how you can use technology, how you can lower costs, and how you can improve customer experiences. And you did that piece by piece of that entire schematic, and then you just put it back together. You would end up with a much more efficient machine. 
And that's very much how we've thought about building this business. It's not, it's not the, it's not like one magic bullet thing that's sexy and you can pitch to VCs in an easy way. It's this notion of pulling apart the schematic and looking at every individual component of the machine, trying to drive down costs and improve customer experiences by using technology and then putting it back together. I think that, you know, that this, this exercise in embedded, this exercise, how we think about claims, like it's all, it's all part and parcel of that same approach, which is taking every piece and trying to think about it from a customer centric lens and how you can use technology to drive down costs. I want to ask you about claims uh, in the little bit of time that we have left, uh, because one of the things I noticed in our research about your company is you mentioned claims a lot and which in and of itself is not remarkable, but when you compare it to, I would say industry information that's out there, it's way more. And number one, why is that? And number two, just what's your philosophy there? What are you doing different than uh, that, that, that makes it so prominent in your thinking? Other than, of course, it's expensive. <laughs> it's, it's expensive. It's, there's a lot of things. I mean, one, it's, it is a very pivotal moment in the customer's journey with your company. So certainly from a customer-centric lens, claims is very, very critical. It's a moment of truth in terms of the promises we've made. It also, to your point, <clears throat> happens to be a pretty big cost center in most insurance businesses. And so if you can find ways to run that business well and more efficiently from a cost perspective, then there's a lot of ground to gain in terms of profitability, growth, pricing, everything you can pour that efficiency into. And claims for us is really, I think, to stick with the metaphor, a great example of how we've taken this approach of looking at the schematic, blowing it up, looking at every individual component of it, seeing what we can make better and lower cost, and then putting it back together. We have There's a, a gentleman who runs our claims org, uh, Aaron Wheaton, is fantastic at this. So he, he built that claims org, rebuilt that claims org, essentially from scratch using this approach. And what you'll find is all of these examples of ways we've been able to improve customer experiences and lower our costs at the same time by using tech. So I think we talked about it last time, but clear claims, clear claims yeah. uses a machine learning model to figure out who can get paid in less than 30 minutes, right? Customers love that. And it saves us a bunch of costs. Something like 60% of our claims are filed through the app and sent to us with photos, which is great. That improves efficiency, but it also gives you these downstream opportunities. So I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not yet, but I would expect that we roll out a customer facing large language model that helps us collect data at FNOL in Q1 of next year. Wow. And again, that nobody's doing that, but no. you can do that stuff if, uh, if you have the right underlying foundation and you're willing to look at every piece of your business and take some risks in terms of how you build the company or go to market or how the pieces fit together. So yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of what Aaron and the team have built over there. It is working quite well. And our loss adjustment expenses are 30% lower than the industry average. Uh, that's big. That's gigantic. I mean, in a business where if you can save a couple of points, it's a bunch of money. It's so not all that big yet, but it'll be real big. And I was going <laughs> to ask you, is scale important in running a claims org? in the auto business, in the auto insurance business, like do the state farms and nationwides and so forth of the world have a have an inherent advantage by their size over a clear cover? 
Um, the no- the numbers we're putting up would not indicate that they have some <laughs> inherent advantage because <laughs> our costs are a lot lower. I mean, certainly there are, there are benefits to scale in any part of the organization. Whatever whatever like your uh, people don't use ALA and ULA anymore, but like whatever whatever your ULA would be could get spread out across more folks and more claims. So there, I think there are some like economies of scale, yes, but the claims efficiencies are gained on a unit basis, right? So how you go and handle a claim and whether or not that claim downloads an app and submits the photos to you digitally, and you're able to process those photos digitally and efficiently. And if you have follow-up questions, you can do so in an automated way without having to make a phone call and how quickly then you can deal with the data and shrink cycle time and how you interact with the shops and how you pay the, like all of that comes together on a unit basis to drive claims efficiency. And I don't think being big has given those folks an advantage over us in that regard. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you one last question. That's about bundling. So it's interesting to me that, uh, and I don't recall the, the name of the rental company that you're embedded with. Good cover. Good cover. So that kind of presents a bundled opportunity for the consumer. And, you know, many of us have been trained that bundling is good. And so do you think because because you're an auto insurance provider, is bundling good? Is it important? I would think that if nothing else from a customer standpoint, it's a convenience, right? But how do you deal with that as a monoline carrier? So Rob, you, you hit it on the head when you said convenience. So bundling is a heuristic for however we achieve those four things that actually end up mattering to the customer, transparency, convenience, affordability, and value, right? So why do people bundle? Well, you get a discount if you bundle, that hits affordability. You gotta yeah. buy the product anyways. If I can buy it in one place, that makes my life more convenient, right? So it, it is, it's simply a heuristic to hit those four things. What we had to ask ourselves is, is it the only way to do it? Or at least is it is it a way that, is it so impactful with respect to those four things we have to invest in being able to bundle whatever products are required. And what we found is, at least for the time being, we do not because the the agents are quite good at, at delivering on those four things without us having to bundle our own property product with our auto product, right? Mm-hmm. They can synthetically manufacture a bundle for us. We can find a way to create a discount for customers when they buy from another carrier and create that bundle. We understand the risk because they're going to buy homeowner from somebody anyway. So like we, we've found ways to date to deliver on those four things without having to actually create the bundle. Now, someday that might change, but for the time being, we don't need that particular heuristic to deliver on the four things we think are going to deliver customer value. Cool. I ask because, and I might've said this to you last time, my, my, uh, my annual renewal is coming up. I'm in California and it's, kind of remarkable what's happened to insurance premiums in the last 18 months yeah as a as a i'm i mean i'm a homeowner and a and a car owner and california makes it pretty and i'm in california California. right yeah Yeah. and yeah and i'm clearly nuts right so all of those those are my four things i think particularly as a californian because the the market is in a tricky spot on the complexity spectrum, you're going to be higher than somebody in a state where the insurance market is in a simpler place. So it probably is even more reason to 
get some curated value in your life and go get some advice from somebody who can help you pick and choose who's in the market and who can get, get put together and how you find the right combination of convenience and value and affordability and knowing that you got the right thing. Right. I mean, to me, it doesn't intimidate me as somebody who works in the industry to have, you know, different brands providing different parts of my insurance umbrella. That doesn't bother me at all. But you know, other people might not be might not be so inclined. That that said, I think that value is a really critical part of uh, you know what you said, particularly as prices continue to rise, you know, far beyond the pace of just the general cost of living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a tricky market for everyone to navigate, including the consumer, right? Uh-huh. Because prices have gone up; they go up in some places more than others. Some companies are raising them more than others, and so uh, even more reason to take it as it sounds like you're doing a critical look at what your needs are and how you serve them in a way that makes you feel confident. So last thing, last question, back to football. Okay. And we're going back to football so we can tell our wives they have to listen to the whole episode. The whole episode. The entire thing. The whole thing. Yes. And that is, um, we brought up, before we got online, before we started recording, we we asked you about Aaron Rodgers. And let's get the um, KN viewpoint on the Aaron Rodgers trade or whatever it was leaving and the Packers today. And here, here's your chance. Go ahead. The microphone's all yours. Yeah, I probably should. You know, the old adage is never miss a good opportunity to keep your mouth shut. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll try anyways here. Aaron Rodgers, as a Packers fan, we owe him a lot. He was tremendously successful elite quarterback for many, many years. At some point, the organization has to move on from a quarterback like that. It's always a little bit messy. I think uh, this one could have been messier. And so mm-hmm. I'm in the camp of grateful for the services he provided to the to the organization over a very long period of time, but happy that the organization has moved on and is starting to work on whatever the future looks like. Sorry, Aaron. No, no, that's. I, th- I think that's a great answer. I'd vote for you. <laughs> yeah well uh well uh, uh I, mean, I, have a, I don't i'm not particularly good at keeping my foot out of my mouth so if i manage that time it's it might be rare are you kidding that's why we wanted you back on the podcast yeah, that's right that's why i keep getting these invites i know <laughs> the headline on social is going to say listen to kyle say this about that <laughs> random insured tech guy thinks aaron Rodgers was right to move on <laughs> If he shows totally up at the front it. door, let me know. <laughs> well, I, I was hoping to break the news here that you were going to be the next experienced bachelor or whatever it is, but you know, that's, that's <laughs> the golden bachelor. Is that uh, true, Rob? That's what I um, just heard. Unless my wife has told you something that she has <laughs> not told me. Now we got to listen. She right? has told me now things she's that, that things that I could extrapolate that from but yeah, uh, like with someone else had you things like that uh-huh, uh-huh. have you ever thought about having a different wife things like <laughs> that. um we're, we're kind of a hint but uh no i'm golden but no bachelor fair enough i'll buy thank that god. thank goodness gracious and neither are you my friend and um and let's keep it that way amen Someone you. has to keep you in line. That's right. That's and right. off the football field. Because I could see you getting a crazy idea in your head. Yeah, I, uh, I've had my share. So 
Uh-huh. They're not done yet. Well, I want to say this. One of them isn't the company that you're running today. And, you know, I am an honest believer in what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I mean, a lot of times we say that to be funny, but as somebody who spent about 25 or 30 years of my career, maybe longer actually as an entrepreneur, it's the best job there is. The best. There's a lot to love. There's a lot to love. And, you know, I was fortunate and I had the opportunity to sell my company and that's awesome. But I liked it a lot more when I was running my own company. So we won't tell your current employer. Keep, right. I don't have one. <laughs> I don't have one. No, that's not exactly true. But yeah, keep it up. Keep up the good work. And thank you so much for making the time. Thank you very much, uh, Kyle. Really enjoyed the conversation. As always, I appreciate the time with uh, with you guys and keep your fingers crossed for us. As always. And listen, we'll have um, our producers get back in touch with you soon because we know it's not easy to get you on. Yeah, right. It'll, it takes a little while. I'll cancel three more times before we actually get one. So we might as well get it on the book soon. That's right. We know how to play the game. Okay. Thanks for being here. Keep it up. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I've been really excited to have Kyle back on the show. Yeah. He is one of the, I think, very thoughtful, interesting, deep thinkers in the insure tech space. I think he's a fantastic person to be on because he's he's been uh, in multiple areas of the insure tech space, right? His past time at AmFam Ventures, an entrepreneur, in fact, I was walking down the hall with somebody at ITC and, and they knew Kyle. Like People know Kyle. They know of him. They know what he's doing. He's a great guest to be on this podcast. And what a great conversation that wasn't a typical conversation that we have, but it was a little bit of a look behind the curtain of what's going on, what got you there, what drives you. I thought that was a great conversation. Well, one of the great things about having him on is, is that the man's going to speak truth, right? Yeah. He, he he doesn't blow any smoke. It's just, here it is, boom. And uh, it's super refreshing and, uh, and wonderfully educational. Mm -hmm. And nothing's really off limits with him. You ask, hey, is there anything, you know, he never says, I don't want to talk about that. He's like, this is the truth. This is what it is. Let's just talk about it. And why not? It's and deal with that. Yep. And deal and, with it. Um, we, we appreciate that. And the truth is he's incredibly generous that he was here today. And it's incredibly generous that you're here to listen to our podcast. We appreciate it. And we wish you all the best for a new year and a happy holiday. And until the next time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.